Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today we are beginning a new series focused on the Sermon on the Mount. Why the Sermon on the Mount, you might ask? Well, because it has been integral to my Christian journey, but not only my Christian journey, it has also been integral to the journey of many whose lives have ended up going towards nonviolence. People like Tolstoy or Bonhoeffer, for example. Gandhi was influenced by it. Uh, There are just a number of people who express that when they came to the Sermon on the Mount for the first time or for the 101st time, when they, they saw it as they felt it was truly meant to be seen for the first time, it was revolutionary. And I have to say that 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 is my experience as well. Even though it wasn't the Sermon on the Mount that necessarily drew me towards pacifism, there were other other arguments and discussions that kind of pushed me that way, which then when I turned to the Sermon on the Mount, I was able to, to read the sermon um, as I believe Christ intended it. Uh, nevertheless, it was it was after having kind of the lens of nonviolence and and reading the sermon again that everything was just able to jump out to me and I felt like I was reading it for the first time without kind of putting shackles on it and I will resonate here with with Bonhoeffer a little bit in that I I almost feel this is exaggeration but some days it doesn't feel like it's that much of an exaggeration I feel like before I read the Sermon on the Mount in in the way of nonviolence, I feel almost like I wasn't a Christian. And because my life has changed so much since reading the words of Christ, apart from metaphor and apart from excuse. Um, and this isn't even just related to nonviolence. Nonviolence was just kind of the linchpin for me. Um, but, I mean, there are lots of things that Jesus says about giving to the needy and about fasting and, and prayer and just there are lots of things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount besides nonviolence. And it's when when I was able to say, you know what, Jesus really does mean love your enemies and then I had to say, Well, maybe Jesus also means that I need to give to the poor. I mean, everything just fell into place. And all of a sudden I understood why people wanted to kill Jesus. I understood that he truly was radical. And the Jesus that I had fashioned had not been very radical. In fact, he looked a lot like me. My life was pretty comfortable, and I could read the Sermon on the Mount and say, I'm pretty good. So, yeah, the Sermon on the Mount is just is just integral, not only to, to pacifism, but to the, the Christian life. Because how you read the Sermon on the Mount says a lot about how radical you think Jesus was and how good you think you are and the way that you, you're going to interpret the Bible. Because the, the sermon that Jesus gives in Matthew 5-7 through 7 is going to be a pretty, um, a pretty jam-packed sermon filled with commands and ideas that are going to be integral to kingdom life, to the Christian life. If you want to get a really good look at this, uh, he's he's a bit eccentric, and um, you have to take him with a grain of salt because he uh, 
he kind of he dismisses the church, which maybe was was warranted where he, where he was in Russia. But Tolstoy's book, uh, What I Believe, is really kind of snarky. It's it's fun uh, to listen to, and it's it's really interesting. And he just rails on the church and and their kind of excuses and hypocrisy and stuff. And for for as much as he might be off the rails in some areas, he's really insightful in quite a few areas. And he talks a lot about how the Sermon on the Mount was influential to him, and he goes through that. So I'd recommend taking a listen to to what I believe um, by by Leo Tolstoy. But as as for me personally, you know, I I spent most of my life taking Genesis literally, and when I say literally, I mean like face value absolutely literally like uh day one day two day three all that everything said was verbatim basically like that's exactly how god did it but then jesus uh i took very metaphorically most of the time when it was when it was kind of difficult to implement it's just this this irony this um this vested interest that i obviously had in my own goodness and uh ability to accomplish the things that Jesus taught. Um, I had a vested interest in in viewing Jesus metaphorically, and I don't know what my interest was in viewing Genesis so literally and why I had to kind of pit those two against each other, but um, that's how I I grew up. And it felt like once I was able to kind of read Jesus, the historical Jesus, the the Jesus who who existed and who I believe um, was physically on this earth. Once I was able to take him uh, at his word, things just unlocked for me. Um, things fell into place. So this series is going to take a look at the Sermon on the Mount and some of these these hard teachings of Christ. Now I'm going to do this in a bit of a unique way. So instead of expositing everything because honestly when you've got people like Tolstoy or Bonhoeffer and I mean everybody else under the sun who who discusses the Sermon on the Mount uh, you can get a lot of good information from people you can get people who are gonna uh, extrapolate on the Sermon on the Mount so what I'm gonna do since you can get all that good stuff elsewhere is I'm actually gonna do things in a unique way. When my daughter was born, my, my last daughter, uh, Gemma, I actually created a compilation of, of sonnets for her. In fact, I, I did that for all of my kids. You know, some of them are focused on metaphysics, some of them are on morals and, and all kinds of things. But Gemma, uh, I created a compilation of gem poems for her that are based on the Sermon on the Mount. So I just went through Matthew 5 through 7, and I, I created a gem association for each one, which I know sounds weird, and maybe it is, but, but it'll make sense once I start to explain it. There are lots of double and triple entendres and meanings uh, jam-packed into the, into the sonnets that I wrote, and um, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of read my sonnets on a section of Matthew, and then expound on that and some of the... Uh, the imagery that I intend to create in there. And you might hate it, and you can skip this whole series, and that, that works out just fine. But if it sounds like something interesting and new and different, then 
go ahead and uh, join us, and I hope you'll find it interesting. So my hope in this isn't that I'll necessarily teach you anything new, because there's, there's so much that I have to learn about the Sermon on the Mount. My hope is that I'll be able to give you some images and, and pictures and uh, words that when you hear them or think of them again, or if you hear Jesus' words and, and you can think of these images, that there'll be something that helps some of Christ's teachings to stick in your mind a little bit more. We will start that in the, the next episode. But for this episode, I do want to talk a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount and just give kind of an overview of some of the things that I think are important to remember about it. Something that has been hard for my, my Protestant brain to wrap my mind around, especially my Reformed Protestant brain, because we, we emphasize grace and faith so much, and granted, those are fantastic, important things. In fact, it was because of uh, Abraham's faith that righteousness was accounted to him, right? Faith is, is central. It's important. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount is not about believing things. It's about doing things. Um, and, and, and that was important to wrap my brain around. And I, I mentioned this before, but you know, as a Protestant, I loved... Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Uh, it's a gift of God, blah, blah, blah. But then you go on to, uh, to verse 9, and it says, uh, For we are Christ's workmanship, created, uh, unto, uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Right? Good works are important. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Right? Whoever remains in me. Right? Whoever does the will of my Father. Um, James, faith without works is dead. All of these things. We... A lot of times, my Protestant group, we like to focus on faith so much, and we forego mentioning works because we don't want to appear legalistic. Unfortunately, we we uh, de-emphasize them way too much because works are extremely important too. Yes, faith is is how we start, and it's what truly saves us. But if we don't have works that follow, then that faith wasn't true faith. It's dead. Just like we see in John, the end of one or the end of yeah, end of two. Um, right? There were people who believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Right? There's a difference between belief and a saving belief. Um, the saving belief is a change of heart that produces works. Right? Even the demons believe in Jesus, in God. But that is not saving belief. And that's, uh, that's a little bit nerve-wracking when you think about verses that talk about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, and uh, how there are sheep and goats. There are people who will say to God, hey, uh, I did all these wonderful things for you. And he'll say, hey, I didn't know you, or I, I don't know you. Get away from me. Depart, wicked servant. So the first thing to keep in mind is that the Sermon on the Mount deals primarily with acts, with works, not with belief. Jesus says... Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's telling you to do some stuff. There are only one or two items in Matthew 5-7 through in the whole sermon which you might be able to categorize as primarily belief-oriented. And um, from what I remember, even... I mean, those would be kind of, like, implicit. It wouldn't be explicit belief. So in all of Matthew 5-7, through we see this idea of assenting through action which are the result of belief and faith. In fact, at the end of Matthew 7, Jesus talks about uh, 
building on the rock, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, and that rock is Jesus. So yes, faith in Jesus is the rock, but that house is going to be built on that rock, right? We don't just have a rock sitting there. We, we build upon that rock. Um, and so the, the Bible is going to emphasize the works here, uh, even though those works are founded, grounded on uh, a faith in Jesus Christ. So just to so you don't have to take my word for it, um, I would recommend that you go read Matthew 5 through 7 before we get into this. But I, I will list out most of the, uh, the commands here or the, the works here that they go through. So first of all, you have the all the blessed are those, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Being a peacemaker is doing something. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? All the blesseds, blessed are those. Let your light shine. Do the full law. Don't kill. Don't be angry and sin. Be reconciled. Don't commit adultery. Don't lust. Don't divorce. Don't take oaths. Don't resist evil in like manner. Love your enemies. Be complete like God. Give to the needy. Give without fanfare. Fast. Fast without fanfare. Pray. Don't focus on earthly goods. Don't be anxious about the future. Seek the kingdom of God. Don't judge. Be introspective about your sin. Ask God in faith. Do as you'd like done to you. Build your house on the rock. That's a whole lot of doing right there. That's a whole lot of doing. That's what you're going to see when you read through Matthew 5-7. through 7. I mean, the, the core of Jesus' kingdom idea, the be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. When you've seen me, you see the Father, right? So... Uh, be perfect like your Father in Heaven is perfect. Um, that's that's pretty crazy. And that's that's a lot of, of stuff to swallow right there. And I do want to focus on the end here where he talks about building your house on the rock because it, it is important, like I said, to remember that the rock is not evidenced as a profession of faith in Jesus. But as Jesus explicitly says, he says this, Everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, that's the one who builds his house on the rock, right? It's not just everyone who believes in me. It's everyone who hears my words, and implicitly, because you believe in Jesus Christ, and because you have your faith in him, you put those words into practice. So, yeah, Jesus is the rock, but it's the... it's only the rock if your words are putting, or if your works are putting his words into practice. So the Sermon on the Mount is going to get at this distinction that we've created between belief and works. And like James shows us, there is no separation of the two. The two are intertwined. You don't have one without the other, particularly works without faith, or faith without works. If we love Jesus, we obey him. It doesn't mean that we never sin, but as I, as I heard once, and I, I really like, that um, we accept God as he continually reveals himself to us. So we, we trend upwards as we are conformed to Christ. You know, I struggled with, my, with, with this idea of, am I saved for a lot of my early life? And when I heard this, it made a lot of sense to me. Uh, just this idea that um, if you're truly a believer, you're trending upwards. 
that's basically just what we call sanctification. If you are in Christ, you're going to trend upwards. You're being conformed to his image. So as Christ reveals himself and his teachings to you, um, I, I find that I am not at a place where I'm like, okay, you know, when I was when I was 18, I was immature and I, I sinned a lot, but now I, I sin much less. That's not where I'm at. Christ has revealed to me more and more the depths of my sin, and I recognize that even more today that I am more of a sinner than I recognized when I was 16 or 18 or 22. Um, because Christ, God, is gracious to us and doesn't just convict us of all of our sin at once, but he works on us over time. So if you are in Christ, you ought to be trending upwards. And if you find that you are in a place today where you think you've made it, that sounds a lot to me like the... Um, you know the the goats who say, "Hey, look! I you know I did all these good things for you. I made it, didn't I?" And Jesus says, "Get out of here! You, that's a that's a fickle and um, surface level religion, and you really didn't dig into to my teachings and understand understand me. You were just checking off some boxes." So when you face the Sermon on the Mount. It really exposes those dichotomies that we've created to insulate us from being convicted unto action. Right, we have to face that dichotomy of belief versus works, or a kingdom that is future-oriented versus a kingdom that is now, or metaphor versus reality. We come face-to-face -face with those hermeneutical decisions. What are we going to say? Are we going to excuse things away? and call it good hermeneutics, or are, are we going to take Christ seriously? That might sound like an uh, unfair um, shot there, because you know, we can discuss the hermeneutics of, uh, obviously there are times when things are metaphor, and there are times when um, you know uh, things aren't to be taken exactly as they're stated. I understand that. Even in Matthew five through seven, I think there uh, where they talk about the cutting off or cutting out your eye or whatever if it offends you, um, I think that's probably metaphorical. Uh, I think, but nevertheless, um, it seems so clear to me that uh, that we over metaphoricalize whatever. Uh, metaphoricalize the the text here, but I haven't been very gracious, so so I'm sorry. I, I probably overasserted some things there, but that's my conviction. So hopefully, um, you'll understand where I'm coming from as we explore the Sermon on the Mount. I am looking forward to digging deeper, and as you wait, I would recommend checking out Tolstoy's What I Believe, digging into some other commentaries from a variety of sources on the Sermon on the Mount and just digging in and reading it for yourself. And if you've never tried to take it literally, um, or at face value, or whatever you want to call it, do that. Just, just see where it takes you when, you when you do it that way. Uh, and then come back here for the next episode next week. That's all for now. So peace, because I'm a pacifist. When I say it, I mean it.